In this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Live from a Montana wilderness fortress, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern, this is the Matt Christensen Hour. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Matt Christensen. This is the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenant Media. Thanks for tuning in. I am joined, as always, by my producer down under, Tim. G'day, Tim. G'day. And to the person in the chat that said you went to the shop to get duct tape, yeah, you're not you're not far off. Wow, I was going to be kind enough not to blame you for this delay since it 100% is not your fault at all actually but here you go already taking shots all right fair enough uh i apologize for the delay tonight of course it is 100% my fault a small technical issue with getting the interview file properly prepared for the show but i appreciate your patience and lesson learned for next time of course the duct tape production rolls on as always and it was one of those things that's nice to learn half hour before live Better to learn it that way than it is while live and realizing that tonight's interview is uh, a technical mess up and we have to figure out what to do with it after the fact. So all things considered, a 15 minute delay is a small price to pay. But speaking of that interview, we will shortly get to my guest tonight. He is Jeremy Kappel, a former TV weatherman fired in 2019 for accidentally saying Martin Luther C word live on air. It's nice to catch up with Jeremy and see what he's been up to since the outrage mob took his job and rearranged his life. And uh, it, it was good to talk to him about um, big concepts that have helped him through some difficult times. We'll catch up with some news items beforehand, including Iowa caucus reaction in just a moment. Plus, later in the show, we'll have a listen to the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin's 911 call audio that was just released. Uh, even the ambulance had to be a secret. Very interesting. Plus, we'll take an email question to close and your super chats as well. And of course, we'll end the show uh, or that is how we'll end the show, rather, with uh, an email question in your super chats. S- speaking of technical problems, I put the same thing in, in my notes twice. I'm just all over the place, you know, but uh, let's talk a, a couple news items before we get to the interview. Uh, breaking earlier today, uh, Daniel Penny. Uh, the Marine who restrained drugged out homeless guy, Michael, uh, Michael Jackson impersonator, Jordan Neely on the New York City subway last May. He was back in court today, and this was a hearing to consider his motion to dismiss his manslaughter and negligent homicide charges. Uh, meaning the case. Well, that's what the hearing was for. And uh, the judge uh, did not grant the motion to dismiss the case. So this case will go to trial. The charges will not be dismissed. Uh, unless, of course, Penny takes some kind of plea deal, which she's not going to because he didn't do anything wrong, number one. But number two, uh, any charges against him for what happened here would be too severe. So if he agrees to any sort of, of guilty plea or any sort of uh, charge, it would be too serious for for what actually happened here. But uh, recall, this is the case where Jordan Neely was shouting threats at people on the subway and that people were going to die. And Jordan Neely didn't care if he went to prison. And Daniel Penny, this Marine, now student, intervened and restrained him by a chokehold. Penny, of course, later died. 
And this case is still being pursued, even though effectively all witnesses say Penny was justified and he actually helped many in distress that day on the subway. Of course, being pursued by the office of corrupt Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Uh, when he's not too busy working the Stormy Daniels case against Trump, of course, he is prosecuting Daniel Penny for helping people uh, defend themselves against a deranged drug, uh, drugged out homeless guy who occasionally does Michael Jackson moonwalking dances in the subway vicinity. In a statement, Penny's lawyers said, uh, quote, while we disagree with the court's decision not to dismiss the indictment, we understand that the legal threshold to continue, even an ill-conceived prosecution, is very low. We are confident that a jury aware of Danny's actions in putting aside his own safety to protect the lives of his fellow riders will deliver a just verdict. Penny has another court date scheduled for March 20th. His trial is expected to begin in the fall. And I hope for a good outcome in this case. I think as a matter of the law, the law is on his side. Did he reasonably believe that he or others, according to New York law, that they were at risk of imminent serious bodily harm to the extent that Jordan Neely is shouting threats? Yes. Uh, But the thing that makes me nervous is this case has all the hallmarks of Derek Chauvin, George Floyd, too. Jordan Neely was not strangled to death. He was almost certainly on drugs when he died. Curiously, we have still not seen Jordan Neely's autopsy. It, uh, I think it's filed right next to the uh, the Nashville trans shooter uh, school shooters manifesto. It, it's, it's right there, uh, never to be seen by the public. There will be an effort to hide what exactly was in Jordan Neely's system that day. And that is already underway, it seems, to the extent the public doesn't know. And I guarantee it is a major factor in the death of Jordan Neely that day. Tim. Yeah, just to back up the prediction you've just made there, we need to remember the report that showed on the regarding the Michael Brown shooting that Darren Wilson was justified. It's basically been ignored these days. The report's very extensive, says everything that happened and shows that it was a completely justified shoot. Uh, although, to be fair, we don't hear the hands up, don't shoot narrative these days, really. So I guess that's something. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, there is uh, there's the truth, there's the law and there's the narrative. And I think we've, as we saw with uh, Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, uh, just because the facts and I think even the law in that case supported a particular conclusion doesn't matter. If the jury is is persuaded a particular way or in the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd case, if the jury is potentially intimidated in a particular way or primed by media coverage to believe a certain thing. Those are all factors in this case as well. Uh, Another piece of uh, of uh, propaganda seems to be exposed. This uh, this in the context of the uh, the Texas National Guard taking control of uh, City Park in Eagle Pass last weekend, and they've actually kept. Uh, Border Patrol, U.S. Border Patrol out while Texas is actually doing some border enforcement. Well, over the weekend, the feds were saying that uh, Texas personnel at the border, their cruel border practices and not allowing the feds to have access to the river, uh, that caused a migrant family to drown in the Rio Grande. This was a mother and her two children because federal agents uh, couldn't get in there to save them. That was the narrative. In response, Texas officials said, we have no idea what you're talking about. We witnessed no such drowning. Well, it's now looking like that was predictably a bunch of Fed propaganda nonsense. 
The DOJ's own follow-up account makes it clear that the allegations against Texas personnel uh, were false. The drowning itself sounds like it did happen, but it wasn't because Texas personnel obstructed feds, as was the original story. In fact, the migrants had drowned by 8 p.m. on Friday night, and Border Patrol didn't inform Texas personnel until an hour later at 9 p.m., again, according to the Department of Justice. So there was no blockage of feds trying to save these migrants, Texas officials blocking them and laughing, as was originally characterized. You can file this one under Whipgate. may remember that one, or, or with Whipgate, rather, the claim that uh, the White House uh, ran with early in the Biden presidency that border agents were whipping migrants from horseback. Turns out that was just horse reins, but of course they punished border agents for it anyway. Um, before we get to the interview, I have to enjoy a little bit of the MSNBC reaction to Trump's decisive Iowa caucus victory on Tuesday night. Or maybe it's a little more disappointing than it is entertaining. You decide. Because you'd think that by now, they'd have something a little more creative to say about Trump after all this time. Instead, they're just going with the well-worn narrative. Trump is racist. Don't listen to him. Only listen to us. Because he's racist, and we're not. A couple problems with that. Anybody who wants to block you from thinking for yourself, that person's not your friend, no matter what else they have to say and whether you agree or not. And for Trump being so allegedly dangerous because he's racist, well, this coverage sure was pretty racist. But against whom, I guess, is the question. Uh, Joy Reid said Trump only won Iowa because it's full of white Christians who think Trump is going to give them their country back. These are white Christians. That this is a state that is overrepresented by white Christians that are going to participate in these caucuses, especially tonight. Iowa is about 61% white Christian. The country as a whole is approximately 41% white Christian. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical white Christians. Because I asked him, what do they get out of supporting Donald Trump? Because he keeps losing, he keeps delivering losses and losses and losses. They see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country. And Trump has promised to give it back to them. All the things that we think about, about electability, about, you know, what are people gaming out or Mm -hmm. none of that matters when you believe that God has given you this country, that it is yours and that everyone who is not a white conservative Christian is a is a fraudulent American. Okay. Uh, once again, someone who claims to be a victim of racism, making millions on national TV by demonizing the only group it's acceptable to demonize. White people, especially Christian white people, to the point she's just going to ignore the top issue, which of, which of course is the economy. 38% of caucus goers listed the economy as their top issue. That's number one. Now, maybe Joy Reid would say, well, you can be an economic voter and vote for DeSantis or Haley. Yeah, you could. But Trump has a demonstrated record. Everybody's wallets were far better off in 2019. Take any metric you want. It's just true. So if you're just a pure economic voter, you think it was better in 2019. Not just you think it was better in 2019 than it is today. That's a perfectly plausible reason to go out and vote for Trump that has nothing to do with anything that she's talking about. Indeed, that's exactly what polled caucus goers in Iowa said. They don't cite this racial reckoning that she's talking about. But I guess they're all just dirty liars in flyover country. 
But to her second point, oh, Iowa is is disproportionately white Christian. Yeah. And? Do we discount the opinions of these people because of their demographics, because of their faith, because of their race? Why? Every state is disproportionately something. No state is a perfect microcosm of the U.S. overall, because we are, of course, a giant country with a lot of variation. So when Biden wins Philadelphia... It would be just as valid to say, well, you know, that's just disproportionately poor black criminals. So that's not really representative. If the second version of that offends you, the first version is just as wrong, too, unless you're just straight up anti-white. And Joy Reid seems to be just straight up anti-white, except for she's not willing to say it. Just say, I don't like white people. I'd have more respect for Joy Reid if she would. As far as this point, they think Trump will give it back to them implying what they have no right to it who built iowa into what it is today it was white christian people do those people not have a right to protect it why is it owed to somebody else and no the possible joy reed response oh it was built on the back of slavery or some such nonsense iowa was never a slave state slavery was outlawed from statehood in 1846 So why are the people who built that state obligated to give it up? Why is it a moral failure if they'd like to protect what they've built over decades and a century and a half at this point? Well, Joy Reid has more to say about the supposed racism of these voters. She said that Nikki Haley could never have won because she's a brown lady running in a racist party. It's the elephant in the room. She's still a brown lady that's got to try to win in a party that is deeply anti-immigrant and which accepts the notion that you can say immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. She's getting, you know, birthered by Donald Trump. Um, And I don't care how much the donor class likes her, which will ramp up a lot, the better she does in New Hampshire. So it's still a challenge. I don't see how she becomes the nominee of that party. Okay, how did Nikki Haley win the governor's office in the red state of South Carolina. How did a bunch of racists elect her if she's too brown? Never mind that she's like the whitest Indian you've ever seen these days. Some, she did something surgical or skin alteration wise to appear more white. I will grant that point. But this idea that Iowa voters are too racist to vote for her. How, how did she win in a red state elsewhere? Now, as far as the birther claim, uh, Nikki, uh, Nikki Haley's parents were not citizens when she was born, though she was born on U.S. soil. Now, it's perfectly reasonable to say that birthright citizenship in the 14th Amendment is misunderstood to mean that anybody born on U.S. soil is a U.S. citizen because it ignores uh, the second clause in that particular piece of the amendment, subject to the jurisdiction thereof. If your parents are not citizens... Perhaps you are not subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Hence the question about Nikki Haley's eligibility. Agree, disagree, that's not about race. That's an idea that applies uh, just as validly to white Europeans as it does to Indians named Nimrata, or whatever her real name is. Uh, Yeah, Tim. Uh, Quick point that I never see bring up, uh, brought up rather, is Trump is anti-immigrant. The dude married two immigrants. Not well, liking but, illegal but immigration doesn't make you. They're yeah. they're white, and uh, well, they're white, but 
not liking illegal immigration is not the same as being anti-immigrant broadly. Well, yeah, it's but it's a stupid point. Yeah, we're we're making the mistake of trying to follow the principles here. When again, for Joy Reid, it's just hatred of white people. It's uh, yeah, fair enough. Fair it's enough. it's as simple as that. But the 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 interesting thing about Joy Reid's hatred of white people, it's not for their hair. Because Joy Reid sure does love their hair. Per usual, excellent Babylon Bee headline. Joy Reid announces she has scalped a Karen and stolen that Karen's hair. It's not really even a joke. It's just the truth. But that's the great thing about your Babylon Bee headlines. Sometimes they're a little too accurate. Uh, But this is just a straight up hairpiece to make her hair look like a white person's. She's taking what belongs to others in exactly the way that she's criticizing. But of course, again, she is entitled to take whatever she wants from white people. That is her entire philosophy. Now, despite this nonsense that Trump is just, uh, he's a dangerous liar. Uh, and, and, and so MSNBC, well, on that premise that he's a dangerous liar, MSNBC refused to air his victory speech, actually, saying they cannot accept the moral responsibility for knowingly broadcasting false things. And everyone with any sense of irony Smirked, thinking about Russiagate and Jussie Smollett and the Covington Catholic hoax and Christine Blasey Ford and all the many COVID lies and every other falsehood that is knowingly broadcast daily on this particular cable channel. Here is Rachel Maddow making the announcement. The projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. It is not an easy decision, but there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. Okay, regardless of ideology or philosophy, anyone telling you not to listen for yourself and to think for yourself and decide for yourself, that person's a snake. That is someone interested in controlling you, not informing you or learning along with you. The unsaid premise in her explanation there is that they, at MSNBC, determine truth for you. They don't believe that the American people determine what is true and what is false for themselves and then vote accordingly, and we respect that. They believe that their own magnificence declares truth for the public And any voice in challenge of that supremacy is therefore unacceptable. This is a total betrayal of their role, of course, and it's because they have their view and their philosophy backward. They think that they hold you accountable on behalf of the state instead of the original constitutional premise uh, that they hold the state accountable on behalf of you. And we're witnessing the uh, the upside down manifest itself in ways just like that. Uh, in all sorts of different contexts across the country. But uh, let's get right into the interview. My guest tonight is Jeremy Kappel. He's a former TV weatherman in Rochester, New York, who was fired five years ago after he accidentally said Martin Luther C-word slur on air. I spoke with Jeremy back at the time, and I figured the five-year anniversary of his firing was a good time to catch up and see what's going on with him uh, 
after his career was absurdly canceled. And um, quite a lot has gone on with him. We had a great conversation on everything from what he's doing now to his faith to his January 6th presence. The interview is about 40 minutes, so good block of time here. But I will see you on the other side. A TV weatherman is fighting back after he was fired for something he said on live TV. He says he didn't say it, but to many of those watching, it sure sounded like he uttered an ugly racial slur. A couple of shots of some cold air heading our way. Jeremy Cappell says he got tongue-tied during a broadcast and uttered what sounded like an offensive racial slur. Martin Luther King Jr. Park. Even the mayor weighed in and pulled no punches. It is beyond unacceptable that this occurred. There must be real consequences for the news personality involved. Welcome back. I am pleased to host my guest for the evening. He is award-winning meteorologist, documentarian, author, man of many talents, but I first discovered him when he was the victim of one of the most ridiculous mob cancellations I have ever seen. It was five years ago in January 2019. Jeremy Cappell was fired by his TV station in Rochester, New York, for accidentally saying Martin Luther C-Word Jr. during a weather broadcast. Uh, Jeremy, it's good to see you again, and thanks for making time for me. Yeah, Matt, I appreciate you checking in. I can't believe it's been five years. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. Many in uh, my audience remember you and your story, but for mm -hmm. those who didn't see the story the first time around, yep. walk me through the original January 6th. This is January right. 6th, 2019. A few yeah. days beforehand, you mistakenly right. say Martin Luther, whatever. Well, and you're, you're fired for this unforgivable mistake. Fired, fired. And by the way, by the way, uh, there are many ways to phonetically sound out the word, if you will. Coon, guy, air oh, quotes. Now you're going to get because, me bad. You got to be careful. Air quotes. No, no, because <laughs> yeah, the way I said it was K-U-N. K-U-N is a big difference oh, between C-O-O-N okay. and K-U-N, which phonetically is the same sound. I didn't know you're now a phonetics professor. So that's your new uh, You know, trajectory. we had to figure out what happened. You yeah. know, I had all these uh, professors of speech, linguistics, whatever, came yeah. forward and said, look what you did. You crunched together a couple of words. And what I did was I took Martin Luther King Jr. Take King and Jr. Make that one word and it comes out Cunier. And I would have been fine had I with Cunier because that's the way it was coming out but in my mind I caught the air cut yeah. it in half and guess how it sounded yeah anyway that that was on January 4th of uh 2019 um I corrected like immediately put the emphasis on King Jr it was a momentary hiccup you know I'm multitasking in front of a green screen walking around the studio trying to keep my thoughts in order I've got you know I've got a uh, three and a half minutes to deliver like a thousand words so we moved on. Nobody in the studio noticed that there was any major issue. We had a, a, a full uh, a full house back in the production room. That's like eight or nine professionals that are paid to be dialed into the broadcast. And, you know, if there's ever a, a real issue, they'd be the first to let you know. Nobody caught any issues. This was on a Friday evening. So that was about 5.45 p.m. delivered to somewhere between 30 and 40 
thousand households there in the Rochester market. We got nobody called in about it. There was no emails. There were no messages on social media. So that Friday evening, uh, you know, I went skipping off to the weekend, even forgot there was a, an issue or an error at all. And then unfortunately for me, somebody in Rochester, and we later found out it was an employee uh, of the city of Rochester, a white woman. <clears throat> I won't, I won't, I won't say her name. It's important, but she she DVR'd it. And I say she it's a white woman because she didn't post it. She gave it to her black friend to post it and to <laughs> slander and to malign my character. Oh my in the God. This, I didn't know it was that tactical. They were really it, thoughtful about this. Turns out, absolutely. And yeah. then, of course, it didn't take long to get back to the mayor's office for something like that. And uh, the mayor of the city of Rochester, former mayor now, uh, lovely Warren, uh, while she was being investigated for high crimes associated with campaign uh, finance law, uh, she decided to go to her pulpit and say, hey, don't look at me. Look, there's a racist meteorologist over there. And of course, that's all it took. 18 minutes after she said that, I was officially fired by the station. So you think that her going after you was a direct distraction from her own controversies? I've got the story pulled up here. You're right. It was campaign mm -hmm. finance for which she later resigned. And then there was another charge on apparently having a police searched her house. They found a gun in the vicinity of her children. So she had some kind of child endangerment charge. And she's mm -hmm. meanwhile, she's married to a guy or was at the time who was part of some sort of drug trafficking ring yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. He found, they found like six or seven kilos of crack cocaine on her husband and her husband, husband's accomplices. So there was a, there was a, a raid that was directed by the attorney general, Letitia James, who's now of course going oh, after. It Trump. always comes back, man, all these so she people, was going, so they all hang she, out together. Yeah, she was going after, uh, yeah, Mayor Warren at the time, and then yeah, it turned out that oh, she was Mayor adversarial. My mistake. She was going. Oh, yeah. She was going after her. She okay. was going after her. All right. And uh, while uh, Mayor Warren was trying to get you know the guns off the streets and crying, oh, we got to do something about our drug problem. Well, she's got unlicensed firearms in her home, two of them with their nine-year-old child. That and at the time of the raid, there was no parent home. Okay, and then uh -huh. they found all the drugs. Yeah. Okay. And so you would think. You would think that some of this would kind of, you know, would would slow her down in her career. I mean, all it took was one false accusation to bring mine to an abrupt end. But for her, she resigned one month early from a position she had already been voted out two to one. Hmm. So she that was her punishment. Resigned one month early. She's on some sort of a probation. They never took away her law license. And today, as last time I checked, she's been re-promoted to the president of the Democratic Party. Party oh, from Monroe County. She just went away. She's still active in party politics, huh? Oh, she's right back in there. You she's mentioned right that uh, as soon as the station got uh, got the call and there was <clears> pressure <throat> from the uh, the mayor at the time that they made this decision, and mm -hmm. you mentioned that nobody said anything to you prior that you went through the weekend having no knowledge that anything was even wrong. Did Nothing. anybody say any anybody at the station, the people who fired you, did they say anything different to you? than what they were saying publicly. I guess what I'm asking is, did anybody uh -huh. say, hey, Jeremy, we know this is a pile of crap, but we got to oh, yeah. do it. There was that kind of conversation. Well, no. The um, the general manager that actually did the firing, now this guy, uh, Richard Reingold, see, understand that uh, he was not there when I was hired. I was, mm -hmm. um, I was recruited. I didn't even apply for the job up in Rochester. I was happily working back here in my hometown for a, a reputable TV station. 
Uh, so they recruited me, vetted me, yada, yada, yada. But both the news director and the general manager that hired me, you know, they were both promoted within a year of me arriving up there. And for good reason, our ratings were fantastic. We did a lot of a lot of cool things that first year. So they leave and then Hubbard Broadcasting, the parent company, brings in this old, sorry, cracker, white guy. He really is. He's just as pasty as all, can all get. They've really like, radicalized you, man. <laughs> oh, completely. Completely. But this guy, he's been bouncing around the TV circuit for 50 years. Yeah. And he had never been at uh, at, at one station for more than like three or four years at a time. So mm. he's like you know, huge journeyman uh, of the TV elk. But when he brought me into the office to ask me, ask me, have you never heard of that that term before? I'm like, what term? And he goes, you know, Martin Luther Seward. I'm like, no, not until now. He's like, he didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't think I was around during that. It is very uncommon. I, I can't tell you the last time I've heard someone say the C word and mean it in a right in a racially well, aggressive way. I, I don't think I've right. ever heard that in my life, actually. Right. But, but apparently back in the day when King was still alive, yeah. calling him Dr. C word was was a thing. But for anybody that wasn't, you know, uh, old enough to remember the 60s, yeah. a lot of us, you wouldn't have never known. Hmm. But uh, anyway, this old guy, he was in there. He's a hack. Um, and, you know, he fired me as soon as there was a little bit of pressure coming from the, the mayor's office, even though he had an investigative reporter at the time, Berkeley Breen, that was actively investigating her again with the campaign finance violations that was being directed by the um, attorney general's office. So that was actively do, happening. That investigation went away for like six months. Do you think it was just fear of her or fear of public backlash? Or were they were they in some kind of friendly relationship? Or why do you think they caved to her so easily? Well, I would say this, just kind of watching Rochester politics in general. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of deals that go on in these back rooms that we are unaware of. And so I don't know exactly what type of relationship, you know, the TV station had with the mayor's office at the time, but it was, it was very obvious they didn't want to make waves with her, which is too bad. I also saw that you went after the station with a, a lawsuit and it looks yeah. like that was unsuccessful, if I understand correctly. But what, uh, what happened there? How did mm -hmm. that develop? Yeah, so we filed separate lawsuits, one against the TV station and the parent uh, company, Hubbard Broadcasting, and we also threw one ad to the mayor's office in the city of Rochester for their involvement in my firing, which it's ironic because later the, uh, the TV station swears under oath that the mayor's opinion had no uh, had nothing to do with their decision to fire me whatsoever at all, even though she made that proclamation through her Facebook page and her official capacity as the mayor 18 minutes before they fired me. They just, but they said that there was just a coincidence. There was so nothing. They didn't offer even a, an explanation for <clears throat> how they had some change of heart over the weekend. It, no, okay. it, no, it was crazy because uh, when I left Dick's office, uh, the last thing he said to me was that uh, I would be put on unpaid leave uh, indefinitely pending a thorough investigation. 
And I what said, "What does that even mean? It's just the clip, and that's it. What are they going to investigate? Turn over your phone exactly and you right. see all your text messages. See if you said the c word in there." Exactly oh right. They God. got their legal team up in uh, up in uh, uh, up in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's where they're at. That's yeah. your old stomping grounds. Long time and, ago, I was born there. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, you're missing. I'm missing the uh, the twins hat. That you uh, yeah, they got this, the staple on my other stream. This is the Wednesday <laughs> stream, so I go with the a Wednesday look, stream. You know? Yeah, I got you. I yeah. got you. So anyway, um, it, it was just it was absolutely nuts. So they claimed they were going to do a thorough investigation. I said before I left his office, I was like, "You you investigate me, and you investigate me thoroughly. I want you to talk to everybody here at the station that has worked with me, and you see if you find any hints of racism in my past. You call yeah. all my former bosses if you need a." a comprehensive list of former contacts, people I've worked with. If you need a list of family, friends, whatever, I'll provide it. Make sure it's a thorough investigation is what I said. Four hours later, I was fired. <laughs> Sounds thorough indeed. I'm yeah, sure they on contacted a Sunday, them all. Yeah, on a Sunday. Yeah. They made the decision Sunday afternoon. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So did they make any phone calls at all? They had probably just with the attorneys and probably with the mayor's office is my guess. But we couldn't get them to admit that. So I know it's been five years since, and mm -hmm. I saw that you had some involvement with the actual January 6th as well, which I'd yep. love to talk to you about. But just in general, what are you up to now? What is going on yeah. after all of this? Well, I mean, it was a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, a few years, obviously, with what occurred on January 6th of 2019, right? Yeah. Exactly two years prior to the Capitol riot of 2021. Um you know, we ended up selling our home, finding I decided not to get back into TV because I felt like the industry had been going in the wrong direction for a long time. I had had several opportunities, but I couldn't find it in me to drag my family back around. You know, I, we had offers from Texas. We had an offer from Minneapolis and I couldn't do that. I couldn't pack them back in the car because they had been traveling with me with my career, you know for decades and they you know the kids were entering middle school and they needed a place of stability a place to set up down roots and so we made the decision that we're going to come back home i think people and, forget about that too it's like oh that guy said a bad word we got to go get him we got to we got to get him fired okay think of all the downstream effects of that you are going to right. uproot the lives of two children why because you heard a word that allegedly hurt your feelings or something which, does that well, does that seem proportional does that make sense it's crazy. I still, to this day, sometimes look back and I'm like, was that real? It was real. It yeah. was real. And five years later, it still seems like something, uh, you know, from another planet. But uh, but yeah, yeah. So we made the decision to come back. Um, I did, uh, did re-release this book, which was uh, originally uh, released actually two years ago on the third anniversary. Uh, but reworked uh, it because of some life change that has occurred. A lot of life change that has occurred here in the last year, year and a half. Uh, but if you're interested in a copy of The Commodore of the Storm, which does cover not just my January 6th firing, but it also covers the Capitol, right? You'll see the Capitol on the actual cover there. And that uh, goes with our experience uh, while we were there. And I'll, I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I also wanted to mention, I took a full year off this past year. And there's two reasons why. Um, and the first one is that, uh, unfortunately... Uh, my wife and I, former wife, now Lisa, decided to part ways. And that was an extremely difficult decision to make, uh, obviously. Um, but I just, you know, after everything that she had 
experience we had went through together, um, we felt like it was it was in the best interest of for her and for the rest of the family. So we made that very difficult decision. That was in late 22. And then in December of 22, my sister, um, whom I was quite close to, uh, passed away very, very unexpectedly. And I just stopped everything. And I, I, you know, I just stopped everything. And I looked up to, you know, God, you know, my faith. And I just asked why, and why do these things, terrible hardships keep happening? And I uh, decided that I needed to, to step away, uh, and, I, and I quit uh, just about all my social media. You know, I had a lot of political commentary that I was doing, and I just decided to give it a rest. And I needed that. I'm so glad that I did that, because this past year has brought uh, more healing than the previous four years combined. And I think the biggest part was just me stepping away and saying, okay, God, I don't know why all this stuff is happening, but I accept it, you know. And then I just want to focus on the most important things that are in my life right now. And those were my kids. They still are uh, raising a couple of teenagers. You know, you're not going to get these years back. So I want to yeah. make sure that I continue to focus on them, continue to pour into them. I'm happy to say that after a very, very difficult 22, Lisa and I have largely repaired our uh, friendship. And it's so important, you know to have a friendship with your former, uh, if you can, if for no other reason to to co-parent well together. And I'm happy to say that we have rekindled that friendship. We're doing a good job of taking care of those kids. So that was very, very important. But the last year has been just full of healing, you know, and then just kind of um, just refocusing and getting re-energized for obviously, you know, what's to come, which I don't know. I haven't looked at your 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 odds on twenty four, but what do you think? What's the odds that we go into another crazy political year here, man? Hundred <laughs> uh, percent chance of civil war two, to put it in meteorological terms. I think. I mean, that's its own separate conversation. To me, it's not a question of how wild this fall gets. It's it's through what means and what method. And I remember right. sitting around uh, in early twenty twenty one with my co-host on my Sunday show because we were just past the second uh, Trump impeachment in January or no, this 2020, 2020, mm-hmm. January, 2020 heading into 2020 election. We were just past the, the, uh, the first impeachment and um, wondering what was going to be the next thing leading into the 2020 election. Now, crazy virus from China was, we didn't predict that, but right. I think 2024 the only thing that's not going to happen is that Trump is going to be reelected and the Democrat Party goes, well, we tried. We'll get them next time, I guess. You know, right. the shenanigans <laughs> are going to be completely insane. But um, I really appreciate you sharing that personal story. And I'm glad that you've been able to find some some peace and purpose and get mm-hmm. back on your feet and all that. I, I know it's a, a deeply personal topic and I want to respect any boundaries you have on it. But just yeah. to, to discuss the divorce briefly. Do you feel like the firing was directly influential on that? Or do you think it's something that do you feel like you would have had that split yeah. independent of the firing? Mm, it's hard to imagine it occurring um, on the trajectory I was on. Hmm. You know, there was there was a certain level of stability within what we had been doing for a long time. You know, steady paycheck. Right. Nice little suburban, you know, home and, and school and normal life. So even though. I don't hide the fact that Lisa and I had some personal stuff there. I, I, I have no doubt that it was so much compounded because of all the hardship and the tr- constant trials, constant trials 
um, that I very much believe that we probably would still be together. Um, for what it's worth, uh, but like I said, I'm um, I, I am uh, very pleased that uh, her and I are at least friends at this point, and we're taking care of those kids as well as we we are. Yeah, you yeah. asked about the lawsuits, and oh, I yeah. want to mention that you asked about the lawsuits. So two separate lawsuits, one against the station, and then later one against the mayor's office. Uh, they were both unceremoniously dismissed even before we got it to discovery, mm-hmm. even before. Uh, they looked at the facts and, you know, I looked back recently at that video that you did right after my fire. Fantastic, by the way, so funny and so spot on. You need to send a link to your viewers here to make sure you see that. It was I so always, well done. The problem is I always cringe at my old work. You know, I, I don't know if you experience so that as someone who's on camera, but you look back uh, at your old yeah, stuff and you're like, oh, God. A little bit. Anyway, but yeah. I appreciate well, the kind You are words, your own worst critic. You know that. Everyone uh, is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it, it was a very good piece of work. And nice uh, you were very quick to highlight that I was not the first uh, broadcaster to make the exact same stumble. It is common. So, yeah. Right. Apparently, there were six of them within 10 years. And then okay. two, the two or three more occurred after me. And so it, it was it's very common. It's not reported it as, as it is. Yeah. But you were very quick to show that precedent. And so we were ready to take this to the courtroom. Hey, there was no malice here. Yeah. This is a common thing. We had uh, doctors of linguistics. We had vocal. So, so that was part you know. of it. I know I kind of joked about that earlier, but the, mm-hmm. this the kind of uh, linguistic explanation was a sincere part of the legal case is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So not, not only is there a precedent, but again, there's a ex- explanation that's readily available for many professional in that area. They can all explain it. It's not like it's like, okay, well, how did this happen? Yeah. You know, we know how it happened. People stumble over their words all the time. So we had all this built in. And then we showed, we were able to show the timing, the relationship between the TV station, the mayor's office, the firing 18 minutes later, which they completely denied. Um, and then we were ready to take into the courtroom a conversation that I had with the president of Hubbard Broadcasting. This guy's a multi-billionaire, owns the rights to the satellite truck. I got him on the phone the day after I was fired because I had previously sold him a radar where we didn't have a live working radar in the city of Rochester. And I convinced him to buy one for us, which nobody thought I would be able to do that, by the way. Uh, apparently, he's uh, known to be quite a frugal guy. But I got him on the phone after I was fired. And I was like, what the F? And he's like, well, and he told me this in confidence. I don't know if it's confidence or not. Now the world can know it because it's in the book already. But he told me, well, maybe we were a little rushed to judge. But we're prepared to give you a severance. Okay. That's what he told me over the phone. He's like, there's wow. nothing we can do about it now. Maybe I was a little rushed to judge, but I'm prepared to give you a severance. He gave me one month pay. Oof. Wow. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Thanks, man. <clears throat> So, yeah, anyway, the whole thing was cooked. The whole thing was cooked. Uh, We appealed the Supreme Court's uh, decision to dismiss it without any sort of uh, discovery whatsoever at all. And so we had to fight the appeals process. And, you know, another year and a half later, August of 22, uh, the appellate court did the same thing. Didn't even look at it, upholding the lower court's ruling that it should be dismissed without even looked at being looked at, which is interesting. I want to hear what your January 6th experience was, because I was oh, yeah. reading that you were contacted. First of all, you were you were there, if I understand correctly. Second of all, I was, yeah. and the FBI contacted you or had some cool, yes. some sort of uh, investigation going on. What, yes. what happened? OK, so <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> you might want to cut that. 
I, I, uh, I just don't want you to incriminate yourself. That's the only thing. Oh, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. As long as their investigation has concluded and I'm not yeah, well, going to get you in uh, federal prison on top of this. <laughs> so we had become very politically involved, myself and my former wife. Uh, after everything that had happened, I, I felt it was just like, wow, you know, I began to see injustice everywhere. And I felt very strongly against what was happening at the time to uh, President Trump, the way the election was handled. I felt like a whole lot of people felt this is crazy. This is nuts. This is not a democracy. And so we needed to be down in Washington, D.C. Went down there uh, for the main purpose was to uh, to listen to uh, President Trump speak. It was at the Stop the Steal rally, if you will. Uh, and that's where I, I positioned myself. I had um, uh, Lisa, uh, my, my uh, former wife, she dropped me and my son off uh, uh, at the Washington Monument or in front of the Washington Monument so we can get down, take video. And there were so many people, as you know. Uh, I mean, it, you just the people went on forever. And um, anyway, it was very cool to be there, to see that many patriots that were, were peacefully, you know, peacefully demonstrating. Okay, this is before the craziness broke out at the riots uh, later on at the Capitol. But listening to uh, the president speak along with other uh, dignitaries, uh, it was very cool. But as you know, when you have that many people, you can't send your data. I can't. Yeah. I'm down there to record this. I'm down there to have commentary. Uh, but I can't get it up because we're there's a there's a million people right there. And so we ended up I ended up having making a plan. And uh, Lisa picked me and landed up and took us back to our hotel in Arlington, in Arlington. So we were in Arlington uploading pictures and video at the time that the Capitol riot occurred. And then, okay, so not only does the FBI know I was not at the Capitol, because again, they ping your phone, they know where you're at. Yeah. But I did a live video from my hotel room okay. in Arlington that is titled, I do not condone the violence that is occurring at the Capitol right now. That was in bold <laughs> You saw letters. what was coming. Yeah. Bold you were ahead of letters. your time. And then we're saying, we don't condone this. Look, yeah. this is not the right way to go about it. Yada, yada, yada. So we were covering it as it was happening from our hotel room. So yeah, of course, naturally the FBI would come calling me like four or five days later, which they did. How long did they talk to you for? Well, they wanted to sit me down for a full-blown interview. So it was a, a phone conversation and I was like, hey, I'm really surprised to hear from you uh, because, you know, I wasn't there. And does like, yeah. does uh, caller ID pick up on that? Just for my own personal knowledge, when no, the FBI calls you, no. does it say a, a fed on Sorry, your phone? Oh. It does not. Okay. It just looked like a regular number. It's more courteous uh, than the door kick, though. That's nice of them. Yeah. Yeah. That was nicer. But he uh, and I had uh, I had been acquainted with a. Um, a person within the FBI in the Rochester district um, through what occurred during my firing. So there was actually a positive connection that was within the FBI at the time that I took this call. And I said, look, I'd like to help you guys out anyway, but I'm curious, why did you pick me? Why are you calling me? You know, I wasn't within a mile, mile and a quarter of the Capitol building that day. Why are you calling me? And they're like, well, I don't know if you know this, Jeremy, but you kind of have a big X in your back. I'm like, oh, what? I know this. Oh, I know this. Well, apparently, through our posting of what was occurring at the Capitol, we showed that we were in Washington, D.C. My enemies took pictures of me and my son and then transposed them with the officer that was kicked to the ground. You mean, and, when you say this, you mean what, political opponents? Or who? what is the X about? Yeah. Who's targeting yeah. you? 
Well, I would say one right off the top of the bat is Rachel Barnhart. She's a local legislature for Monroe County in Rochester. She used to be uh, she used to be a reporter and anchor for a couple of the TV stations. And then she got into politics, left wing politics at that. And she had been trolling me ever since I was fired. And then when she got wind that I was down in Washington, D.C., her and some of her cronies are kicking up a bunch of you know, just dusting up whatever they could on, on, on Twitter. And lo and behold, they got it sent to the FBI like a thousand times. They just kept having it retweeted and people were tagging the FBI. So that's what, that's why he said he called me. And then, um, he tried to set up an interview. And at first I was like, sure, I'll sit down with you. I've got nothing to hide. Okay. But you should know that because <laughs> you have all the data. You yeah. saw my live video. You should know this. Yeah. And then uh, after I talked to an attorney and, and hired another attorney, they advised that I, under no circumstance, do I volunteer to sit down with an interview with the FBI. Hmm. So I, I let my attorney uh, handle it from there. And they just didn't pursue. They just kind of let you go. And that I can't there. imagine. They've, they've had a lot of creative charges, but it sounds like they would have had to be extra creative to pursue anything criminal in, in a case like that yeah but shoot here we are you know yeah. three years later now and they're still going after people which is amazing to me well if you have a little bit of time i would like to talk to you a little bit more about your faith because obviously yes, that's something that has brought you through some challenging times in the last few years and mm -hmm. i ask it for personal interest too because i'm okay. kind of on my own journey where I'm seeking clarity mm -hmm. and I just can't quite find it. And you seem like a very clear minded man on the topic. And I'd be curious to see if you can help me reach that final destination. But just mm -hmm. if you have some thoughts about what faith means to you, why it's so important and how it got you through all of these challenges of the last few yeah. years. And I appreciate that opportunity, by the way, Matt. And as described in the book, uh, if you just want to run straight to chapter six, <laughs> you're going to see my God moment. Uh, and that's I, when I'm huddled have to on. read it then. This is yeah, exactly what I, I'm looking for. I'm huddled on the couch with my family after I just received the news that I would be, I was fired and I, my career has been derailed at this moment. Uh, financial security tossed out the window, knew that there was a, a monsoon of, of, you know, media and stuff that was coming. Um, Everything seemed way out of control. And I went from, like I do, you know, we all try to stay in control of our lives, right? That's Most people try to have a level of control and that makes them feel better, makes them feel better. Well, and I'm like that. I'm like that. And, you know, in some ways I'm a, a little OCD. I, I'm very particular. And so when all of this goes nuts, I mean, just nuts, you know, I go from, you know, losing complete control of anything in my life, almost to the point of nausea when it starts, you know, to I'm holding my family on the couch, telling them what just occurred and, and an immediate calming comes over me. Like, I can't explain it. Why do I feel this peace right now? And I felt not just a peace, but almost a love that, you know what, this is going to be okay. You got what you need right here. And everything is going to be okay. That was the message I received loud and clear. And we walked away from that very calmly. And I was able to perform everything that came at me in, in the, uh, the following days and weeks, including many interviews, including uh, a couple with you. And um, anyway, um, it's just that 
at the end of the day, we're not going to get through this life unscathed. At the end of the day, we're going to find pain and we're going to experience pain in this life. There's no avoiding that. But there's a difference between pain and pain without purpose. As mm. long as your pain is meaningful, as long as your pain uh, providing some sort of purpose, then it's bearable. And we can walk through that sort of pain as long as we know it's serving something bigger, serving a higher cause. And that's kind of the way I've looked at it throughout my life. The low, All of my low points have have been marked by me saying, okay, God, I clearly don't have this. I give it to you. And, you know, it works for me. It calms me. It uh, It's definitely helped my children as they watch, watch me walk through controversy. Yeah, you're speaking my language there. I, um, I have, prior to the last couple of years, I would have considered myself agnostic as in these questions aren't really mm-hmm. answerable, so I shouldn't concern myself with them. Right. Over the last few years in particular, two things have become very clear to me. Number one, there is a moral order to the world. There is an objective right and wrong. There mm-hmm. is a moral truth. It is as constant as the force of gravity or any other natural uh, attribute of, of the world. 100%. And then what you spoke to there where there's just like a force that compels you, in your case, to calmness. In mm-hmm. my case, um, I suppose I've experienced some of that, but there are times in my life where I'm just compelled to take a particular action, even if it doesn't seem completely rational in the moment. Right. And everything I have from you know, my stupid YouTube channel to my entire mm-hmm. family now that is the result of that channel is mm-hmm. the result of those sorts of moments of feeling compelled to take what seems like an irresponsible risk, but taking it right. you know, as responsibly as possible, even if I can't explain exactly <clears throat> why. And right. It's so, almost like a, at a gut level. Yeah. So for me, it's like I can see these big picture concepts. It's like Mm -hmm. I I think of it like those weird 3D pictures where you kind of have to like adjust your eyes to see the 3D image or just like a blurry photo where I can see these big concepts like the objective moral truth of the world and Mm -hmm. some kind of guiding force that compels me. I just can't quite focus that to get to the specific teachings of Jesus Christ. And I've been doing a Bible study for okay. the last year and a half with a listener who's who's very knowledgeable in scripture. And it's been really useful for me to understand, um, well, just understand biblical scripture more thoroughly. And, sure. and, and I it's... find a lot of value in that. Like if I didn't find value in it, I would have stopped a long time ago and just stopped. I would have just ended it. So something mm-hmm. compels me to continue. And it's like that, that picture is coming into focus. It's just, I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to have this moment where it's like snap clarity and I don't know if that exists or mm, what your thoughts on that are. No, my thought is that, and I didn't have that come to Jesus moment when I first came to Jesus when I was a teenager mm-hmm. at the time. It was more of there's an overwhelming amount of evidence I've already witnessed. And, you know, I've seen the fruits of people walking the right path. And I've seen the fruits of those that don't. Mm-hmm. And what do I want to produce? And so I took kind of that approach early on, but it wasn't like uh, getting hit over the head with a, you know, a frying pan, voila moment. Well, you know, I didn't meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. You know, it was, he just kind of crept in and he crept in and he's been creeping in my whole life. And so I get to this point and it's just something that grows in time. 
your faith should grow. It's going to grow incrementally and you're going to fall back sometimes and you're going to have weak moments when you maybe you're not as led by faith as much as you want to. But overall, if your arc in life continues to move, you move one extra step towards the unknown through faith, well, that builds the faith a little bit more. Yeah. And you're you're going to take an even more bold step. I think Martin Luther said it. Uh, he said, faith is taking that first step, even when you can't see the entire staircase. Wait, Martin Luther who? <laughs> I knew you were going to jump on that. Sorry, I, I, think, I think you know the guy. I can't take any You're making an important point. Right I apologize. Yeah, no, you're all good. You're uh, all good. Yeah, I, I, I take your point on that too because it's like, okay, if I think about the sort of neighbors I want or mm-hmm. the sort of community I want to live in, I generally think of like a, a church-going, faith-based type of people, even which seems so silly and hypocritical if you're not a person who participates in that because then you're just kind of on the bandwagon. Like you're on the bandwagon mm-hmm. looking at others like, oh, they believe in those silly, stupid, old-timey explanations for the world. Well, you actually yeah. enjoy the benefits mm-hmm. of everything that that has built. And I don't want to be one of those free riders, one of those bandwagon people that just kind of like ignores everything built on the pre- on that philosophy and that premise. Well, yeah, I don't actually bandwagon. It's not a bandwagon. Uh, when in, you can't be on a bandwagon with something that is so personal. Hmm. Well, it may be easy for the masses to claim, you know, that they follow Christ, okay, or or to put that label as a Christian on themselves. That's easy. Okay, sure, you know, the whole bandwagon can do that, but only one person can have that individual walk and only one person can have that unique experience that is between you, the creation, and the one that created you, that there's only one, you know. And, and that's why it's so important to me. And I, and I, I see the trajectory here, so I don't, uh, I don't mean to present as though I'm having like, sincere doubts about leaving this path that I'm on or something like that. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not, I see the trajectory, but what you just said is so important that if I'm going to make that statement that I am a Christian and that I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior, I understand the significance of that statement. And for me to be satisfied, I need to be mm-hmm. able to explain exactly why. And it can't just right. be because these people expect it of me or I need it to, I need to do it to fit in or, mm-hmm. and I feel like I've got like, half of that explanation and I want the other half. I just can't quite find it yet. But, yeah. uh, but everything well, you're saying is exactly to, I mean, it's right. consistent with my experience. Yeah. Well, fantastic. You mentioned the one thing that, uh, I always kind of go back to, and that is that uh, there are laws of morality. Yeah. Okay. We're living in a society, a world of moral ambiguity you know it's a hey it's it's you know you do what you feel is right if we all do what we feel is right well we're all going to end up on the you know uh, the wrong path in my opinion but there i believe 100 percent that there is a universal law of morality and and the god of the uh, of of the universe that created the laws of physics and whatnot he also created the laws of morality and that's built into our social fabric and when you when a society operates under that given law okay it may not be a written law but we all know (laughs) that we shouldn't go around stealing from our neighbors and yeah yeah actually probably is written laws about that but when you do that when you follow these moral laws as written in the bible society is better uh families are happier families are more united uh and you know that's jesus said that uh that countries will be uh 
put on his shoulder, and that wasn't Jesus, that was in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, prophesizing about the coming of the Messiah, that countries would literally be put on this man's shoulders. And if you look at the rise of Christianity, and when we got to real democracy anywhere in the world, it came after Jesus, and it came after his precepts. Uh, and, you know, there was no country in the world that that showed that uh, promise more prominently than the United States of America. And while the United States of America was largely a Christian nation, we largely were the most successful nation. It's not even close. It's only in recent decades where we have obviously fallen far short from these principles that we once believed in, that now, you know, well, we see the results. Yeah. And that's, it's always unsatisfying to me that that's what started me on this path. I mean, it's a recognition of those truths that I was talking Mm -hmm. about, but it's also seeing the opposite in action and being sort of a religious skeptic my entire life, but seeing the results that you're talking about from people who have no moral structure or compass whatsoever and what kind of country we're getting out of it. It's like, I don't know what the answer is, but it's not that. So I'm going to try mm-hmm. over here and see what these people have to say. And that's, it seems like I'm finding better answers away from the current trajectory of the country to your point. Right. But, uh, well, good, good for you, Matt. And I'm proud of you, my friend. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate am. your, your thoughts and your wisdom on that. And, uh, for what it's worth. Man, uh, I could talk about this stuff for for a long time, but we'll we'll have to resume it another time, I think. And uh, I'd love that. to have you back if you have any updates in you know in a in a little while, or you know if you if you mm-hmm. have any news to break, you're always welcome to my platform to discuss it. But thank you, uh, man. But that's my guest, Jeremy Kappel. You can find him at CappelWeather.com. Mm-hmm. That's K A P P E L L Weather. Like he is a meteorologist. I'm gonna stop you. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there. Because uh, I have not updated that platform, I'm moving to another website. Okay, I don't have it up, so I'm going to have you push to uh, my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Got it. Okay, so uh, it's at Jeremy <clears throat> Capel on Twitter, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's at Jeremy Capel. You know, get the spelling K two P's two L's, and then uh, it's just like I think it's Jeremy Capel W X on Instagram. Okay. All right. Uh, anything else? You, anywhere else you'd like to send people before we uh, wrap up? No, that's it. Find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Again, the name Kappel, K-A-P-P-E-L-L. Well, thanks again for your time, Jeremy, and Happy New Year. Okay, Matt, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks again to my guest, Jeremy Kappel. Find his links in the description. Jeremy Kappel, WX on Instagram, at Jeremy Kappel on Twitter and or X. And check out his book, The Calm During the Storm, for even more details on his strange journey through strange times and finding some peace and sense in all of it. He's a good man, and I'm glad to catch up with him. Tim, you had a thought. Yeah, just a quick bit of housekeeping. Uh, Ninja Kitty has dropped the link for the original interview you did with him a few years ago in the chat and it, yeah it looks like he's just done it again so anyone interested in that original interview uh the link is there for you to click on go check out after the show of course but you know you know my policy on might... old work of mine don't
but thank you. I I appreciate that. Uh, okay, yeah. All Click right. on the link and then turn off the video. How yeah, about right, that? Right. Um, thank you for that. Well, I have a couple more topics prepped. I know we're at uh, an hour, but like I said, when this show launched, it's only a matter of time be- before it becomes the Matt Christensen two hours, the Matt Christensen hour trilogy, whatever. I did. I, I prepped some topics. Let's talk about the topics. Specifically, I want to talk about Lloyd Austin and um, and one email question, and then we'll call it a night. But uh, the saga of Lloyd Austin, uh, the missing secretary of defense continues. At this point, I'm not even convinced he's alive anymore. And I think the same could be said about the president he serves. So maybe they're all just dead. Lloyd Austin, of course, mysteriously disappeared off the job after getting a prostate cancer surgery in December, experiencing complications and going to the hospital on January 1st, telling nobody, including his deputy uh, and the president of the United States. While the country is, of course, closely involved with military operations, if not directly, very closely involved in Ukraine, Israel and elsewhere. Plus, we got. We got personnel all over the world. Just like everyone else in this administration, you don't even notice when they're off the job because they don't really do anything in the first place. So maybe it's better that they don't work, actually, given their track record. Maybe if they just stay home, maybe that's better. But of course, they are collecting a public salary for something. So I assume that we in the public have a right to know what's going on. Well, through a Freedom of Information Act request by the Daily Beast, we now have redacted audio of the 911 call from Austin's assistant on January 1st. The assistant requests the ambulance to be as subtle as possible so as not to attract any attention. Fairfax County 911, where is your emergency? I am requesting an ambulance to be taken Aiden Court. Can I can I ask that can the ambulance not show up with lights and sirens? Um, we're trying to mm-hmm. remain a, a little subtle. Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, usually when they turn into a residential neighborhood, they'll turn them off. Uh, but they're required by law to run with them with the main streets, like if they're on Georgetown Pike or Leesburg Pike. So why is the ambulance itself a secret, or why is it key for the ambulance itself to be subtle? Defenders of Lloyd Austin are going to say, well, well, he's a very private man. Please respect his medical privacy. I do, actually. I don't demand to know the details of his medical condition, but he is a public official. He's a very high-ranking one. Very important job. So if he needs medical leave, he should do what everybody else with honest jobs does, and that's inform his colleagues and his superior So that we, the American people who employ him, can be confident that his job that we pay for is actually being done, whether it's him who's doing it or somebody else. Nobody's mad at him for having a medical episode. That's fine. Nobody's mad. Nobody demands to know the exact details of what's going on with his prostate. It's just, hey, if you're not capable of doing the job, uh, like any other honest job, you should say that and get somebody in place who can do it, even if it's just temporarily. So it would appear cynically that he just wants to keep the job whether he's capable of doing it or not. That's the reason that you'd try to keep an ambulance visit a secret. That's not a medical privacy thing. That's probably a, I can't do the job, but I want the check anyway type thing. Austin later released a statement taking accountability for his lack of communication, saying he commits to do better. The president himself doesn't seem to care much. He was asked by reporters on Friday if it was a lapse in judgment from Austin. Joe Biden said yes, while he was distracted by something on a bookshelf at a coffee shop and making a nearby young woman look visibly uncomfortable. 
The intensely private Austin later said he took full responsibility and could have done a better job ensuring the public was appropriately informed. The president says he still has full confidence in him, but... Was it allowed to do? I can't remember not to tell you earlier. Yes. Well, with an attention span like that, I can't believe that Lloyd Austin went missing and got away with it while Joe Biden was looking in the wrong direction. It's not just lapse of judgment type stuff, though. It's our country's defense, uh, preparedness for that defense, military readiness. Lloyd Austin didn't even tell the White House that he had a prostate cancer diagnosis for a month. Remember, the diagnosis itself is from earlier in December. He didn't inform the White House about his hospitalization for three days. That's not just a privacy thing. That's a guy collecting a check with massive, uh, massive asterisks on his ability to do the job, appearing to intentionally hide the asterisks. Because he didn't say anything. His deputy, Kathleen Hicks, was on vacation in Puerto Rico while he was hospitalized, leaving our Defense Department without any clear leadership. As always, uh, all these people are serious about is, is lecturing us and taking our money. Everything else is a joke to them, including you know, being in charge of wars across the globe. All that's important is they keep taking your money to pay themselves to perpetuate those wars. Every other consideration is secondary. Uh, yes, Tim. Yeah, I mean, the, the viewpoint you just presented them uh, there of them just want to take our money could be viewed as cynical. But I don't know if you've seen the, the um, story in the last couple of days of Mitt Romney basically saying everyone, all the members of Congress need to have a pay rise. It's oh, Mitt Romney is out. arguing for that. I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. if you'd seen that. And isn't he quitting? He's a... retiring. Why does he? What's yeah, he worried about so. it for? I think so. I'm sure just out of the goodness of his heart, he sees all the poverty Maybe. in Congress and he can't stand for it any longer. To be fair, it's only a recent story. I didn't read through to see if maybe he was going to try and get a higher pension out of the deal. Oh, possibly. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But but one of my favorite quotes in the thing was basically him saying, "If people are serving, then they should be able to feel like they have a home to stay in when they're in DC." Which I'm like, why can't you stay in a hotel? There's heaps of people that travel for their work. They stay in hotels. Why do you need yeah, a now, now we need to pay everyone in D.C. a living wage, which by virtue of their own policy making and their own disaster is uh, a million bajillion dollars. Unlucky for us. And they have to extract it from us because these people who live yeah. there are not producers. They are takers by the nature of their job. And uh, their, their, their thirst to take will never be satiated. But uh, Quick. Quick question. Isn't D.C. run by a, a Democrat, the mayor? Isn't the, uh, is the it DC still Bowser? Mayor? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, be, in general, yeah. they vote like 90 percent Democrat in D.C. Yeah, uh, yeah, fair enough. But let's get to uh, the email question, because we have one this evening from listener Adam, if you got that. Yeah, yeah. So from Adam, he's presenting a scenario. It's 2044. Elon Musk has colonized Mars into Earth 2.0, a planet rich in land and resources. You've established your own independent nation. Now you must decide the criteria by which people may immigrate into into the new country. How do you decide, how do you decide who can enter? Now he's given his own sort of parameters. So for him, he says all new citizens must be a net benefit to the country. So no welfare seekers. They must pass a basic health screen, cognitive test, and morality questionnaire. They should be physically capable of defending the country intelligent enough to innovate, honest enough to not destroy the nation for some fancy dinners or alien pussy, which is an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Alien P word. This is a family <laughs> yep. production. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> immigrants, with, 
Immigrants would be chosen based on their skills and ties to the nation and would forfeit their rights if they violated the laws of said nation. Something along those lines. Okay. So this is just a fancy way of asking what is your preferred immigration policy. But I appreciate the joke about alien P word nonetheless. It was it was worth it. Uh, and I generally agree with um, it's, it's emailer Adam, right? A- Adam's premises here. Uh, that I would allow immigration pursuant to two principles if I'm designing the policy, both of which must be satisfied, not just one. Uh, it's not enough just to want to come to this country, of course, uh, which is largely what we're seeing today. You have to, number one, provide benefits, as in be a builder. You need to be somebody with some wealth or some business or something established that you can offer. And number two, you need to be prepared to conform socially. You need to be able to integrate which is much harder, but it's very important. And this is why the critics of looser immigration policy refer to countries mockingly as just economic zones. Is the U.S. just an economic zone, or is there a set of principles and values that we all share? Now, there should be, I would say. I don't think we do share values and principles anymore. The ideal country would, which is why it's such an important piece of this policy. So a prospective immigrant under this idea must demonstrate a commitment to those principles and values. Now, whether that's a test or maybe they have to take some sort of enforceable oath or some mechanism that says not only do I have a big opportunity to bring, but I won't come to the U.S. and seek to change what makes it great or I will be punished if I do. And that social cohesion ingredient is crucial precisely because it's a crucial ingredient to a successful economy itself. Part of a successful economy is trust. You have trust in your neighbors. If you don't, you don't do business with them. It's another reason why it's so important. The only thing I would add on that social cohesion part, and maybe Adam would agree with me, I don't know, but I would add a a language requirement too. You got to speak English. Uh, Part of maintaining social cohesion or whatever language our alien colony here speaks, but there's got to be some standardized language part of maintaining social cohesion and building trust and building an economy is a a common language through which we all interact. If every subgroup is speaking its own language, well, it's chaos. And then another thing you might consider if you're, if you're worried about too much change too fast, because it'll threaten that social cohesion, uh, cap the numbers at X per year. Listen, even if you've got a great opportunity, we, we believe that you will uphold American values or alien values. We hit our quota for the year. Come back next year. We will consider you. And that way it's not too many people too fast in a way that threatens to change the the core of the country. Now, the critics will say uh, you can't realistically vet prospective immigrants for ideological commitment. You're just going to have to trust them and many will betray you. And that is true. I think all we can do is test them and take them at their word and maybe devise some sort of oath-breaking enforcement mechanism like we talked about earlier. But the question is, are there people out there who who can and want to make this country better and provide opportunity and uphold the values that built this country, not betray them? I think that there are. And so I personally would not go full immigration moratorium, but I will concede the point that importing foreign interest at any level involves some risk. It's just a question of, does the potential reward justify the risk I think handled strictly according to the rules that I've outlined, there's high upside that's worth pursuing. Uh, So thanks for the question, Adam. Appreciate it. If you'd like to send 
a question yourself for consideration and discussion on the show, visit the contact page of my website. That's mattchristensenmedia.com slash contact. Look for the MC Hour questions box. That's the one and only place we accept questions for the show. Linked in the description as well. We'll catch up with Super Chat before we call it a night. You got that ready to go? Okay. Yeah, so we've got just the one from uh, Rumble. Okay. GR token. I think that's a slur for token Mexicans. <laughs> or it might be a slur. Is that a slur for Latinos in general or Mexicans specifically? I can't uh, remember. I don't, I don't know, you know, but. It might be Latinos in general because yeah. I think it's also Puerto Rican stuff like that. Anyway, anyway. Hey, hey, Mike. Dude, you're trying to get this channel banned. Hey, Mike. <laughs> really miss chatting with the you. The K word is for the Sunday show. This is a dignified okay. production. You know what? We'll have we'll have to lay out the rules for Tenet, obviously. Yeah, well, uh, really miss chatting with you and Blonde. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this show is only getting better when it goes longer. Keep it. Uh, keep putting out the content. Well, thanks for the kind words and thanks for coming over and giving the the new Wednesday production a shot. I appreciate it. If people aren't familiar, uh, one of my bits on on the Sunday show. I love people who are named hilarious things. Whether it's Diego Fago, the linebacker prospect. Uh, who hasn't made it in the NFL or the newest football prospect, uh, Noah, careful, Kaniga, Kaniga. And that's how you say his name. It's K-I-N. Kaniga. That's how you say it. K-N-I-G-G-A-S. And I wish Noah Kaniga a fantastic college football career. But just so people know what we're, in, what we're talking about. Noah is definitely going to get some sports broadcaster fired just like Jeremy Cavill. It, uh, it is his destiny. I, I could be completely wrong on this, but what do you bet? What What's the bet that broadcasters, when they first saw that, kind of went, is, is the case silent in that? I quit. That's what they I'm, said. I don't, I, I'm yeah, even, I quit. Yeah, it's like, I'm out. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they asked, is like, do we pronounce the can that we do? Oh, thank God. <laughs> so, but yeah, anyway. Uh, right. So the YouTube super chats, uh, firstly from Long, Long Dong, Long Dong John. Guys with these. Tongue twister names, damn it. Fellow Aussie. Down under. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Martin Luther Aussie Cheese Jr. That's right. I'm sure you get the joke, right? Yeah, sadly, we do not have that. We have the cheese, but it's not named that anymore. We used to have a cheese. It's not C word cheese anymore. No, we used to have one that was named after the slur for black people, but they changed it maybe a year ago, maybe a little bit more. What did they call it? What is it now? Chia cheese, which I hate. Oh. I don't know what. I don't know I what thought they were, chia I thought cheese they would call is it, supposed uh, to be. Cheese of color. They would go with cheese of color. No. Well, they could have, but I didn't think of that. So. Uh, anyway, from yeah. Drew McTeague, bonus bucks for Matt. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it. Uh, Mint twenty. This country was literally created for and by white Christians. It is the homeland of the white Christian population. Everyone else's claim is irrelevant in comparison. Uh, fact check, just true, you know, and and I wish that that would be acknowledged. It, it's not like a hateful thing to observe. And I don't think those people actually do really believe in the strict exclusion of everyone else. But if I can't believe Joy Reid looks at a state like Iowa and sees what the white Christian population has built there and scoffs at them. What would Iowa be? Iowa would not be the massive producer of food uh, and and agriculture in general that it is today, feeding the entire country, if not for white Christian people who built all that. It doesn't mean that nobody of any other demographic ever did anything of value ever. But can we at least 
I guess I include myself, whatever. Can they at least get the respect of building what they have built? Is that too much to ask? For Joy Reid, it is. But yeah, your point is taken, man. And I don't, I would love to hear someone argue the opposite point. No, actually, white Christians were the freeloaders in Iowa. That's how that worked out. Okay. It's also slightly odd that because of someone's belief, they can't, they don't get to choose who they want in government. It seems to be almost the argument, which is stupid because isn't that the point of politics? Uh, no, the po- the point of politics is getting revenge on white people yeah, under oh, fair enough. philosophy. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yep. So one more from Long Dong John. A spaceship full of illegals is headed to your Martian nation. What will you do with it? Oh, in the in the uh, the hypothetical that we just developed. Well, what sort of anti-spaceship technology do I have? Is there a space catapult to borrow the Sunday metaphor? Can we just catapult it back out into space? No, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, this is kind of a proxy question too, just for like, if, if an alien spacecraft showed up in the sky, what's your approach? Are you going to welcome them? Are you going to try to have a philosophical discussion to see what they're here to do? Or are you going to take whatever the biggest weapon you have is and fire upon it? Um, with total unknowns like that, even though I, obviously I think curiosity is important. Uh, I think survival is a little more important. And so in such a situation with a totally unknown craft entering our area, I would be inclined to shoot first, ask questions later. If I was the one governing this particular planet or colony or whatever it is to the extent we have the weaponry capable, if it's just like slingshots, I don't know, then I guess we have to try negotiation. But, um, when dealing with the unknown, an unknown threat like that, it's better to shoot too early than not be able to shoot too late. So that would be my answer. Uh, and anyway, that, reset, looks like, right? yeah, that looks like everything. I just reset the, uh, I refresh the super chats and doesn't look like we have anything new. So all right. yeah, that looks like it. All good. Well, Hey, thanks everybody for a little bit of patience tonight. I hope uh, a longer show makes up for it. And uh, I've learned a technical lesson in my duct tape production for a future date. So I appreciate you putting up with that for just a minute. But uh, other than that, thanks for tuning in tonight. Very much appreciated. If you missed any part of the show uh, or would like more to listen to, there is lots more content over on my website. That is madchristensenmedia.com. You can check my shorter videos. You can check out my Sunday show if you're not familiar with that. If you're new to the Tenant Media channel, A like and a subscribe are much appreciated as well. We will be back each and every Wednesday night at 9 Eastern. Unless I'm late, this has been the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media. 